Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Welcome, my friends, to a journey into the shadows and mysteries of the Lone Star State. Today, we're venturing into the heart of Texas folklore where legends whisper through the winds and ghost stories are etched into the very soil beneath their feet. From the haunting echoes of Alton, Texas, to the chilling tales of the Goatman's Bridge, the vengeful spirit of El Muerto, which I'm sure I will butcher any kind of pronunciation, even though I've been getting a little bit better. Uh, but I'm sure I'll be called out on a lot of that. And then finally to the somber secrets of the Black Hope Cemetery. We're uncovering stories that have been passed down through generations, so turn down your lights, let your imagination roam free, and join me as I explore the eerie tales and unsolved mysteries that make Texas a place where the past is never truly gone. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the folklore and ghost stories that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. In the 1800s, the untamed and lawless landscape of Texas beckoned all manner of thieves, murderers, and ruthless outlaws. Drawn like moths to a flame, they flocked to this wild frontier, seeking refuge from the long arm of the law. But amidst the chaos and danger, a group of men emerged as the guardians of justice. The Texas Rangers. And I don't mean the baseball team. Tasked with combating the relentless onslaught of desperados and defending the settlers from Native American attacks, the rangers embarked on a mission to tame the wild Texas territory. It was a land caught in a bitter dispute between two countries, 
where the Rio Grande to the south marked the border between the United States and Mexico. However, the Mexican government vehemently refused to acknowledge this boundary, insisting that the Nueces River held rightful claim as the true border. This disagreement left a vast expanse of land wedged between the two rivers, an area known as No Man's Land, a prime target for outlaws seeking refuge beyond the reach of the law. The simmering tension between these two nations eventually erupted into a war in 1846, when the United States made a bold move to establish the Rio Grande as the official border. Listen, I know it's pronounced Rio Grande. Some people say Rio Grande, other people say Rio Grande. I'm choosing to say Rio Grande. And that's all I have to say on the matter. Thank you. I know like Texas people, Texas people, people who live in Texas. Hi, Chris, speak English. Um, say Rio Grande. Well, they say Rio, people from Austin say Rio Grande when uh, referring to the street in Austin and Rio Grande referring to the river or vice versa. So to quell any further confusion, I will be referring to it as the Rio Grande. But I don't think it gets brought up again in this story. So perhaps I've said too much. Sometimes, Chris, you just gotta be quiet. Despite their victory in battle, it would take another three decades before the Texas Rangers could fully rid this territory of Mexican cattle rustlers and thieves. Among these rugged lawmen were Creed Taylor and William Alexander Anderson, more commonly known as Bigfoot Wallace. Both revered as expert gunmen and folk heroes in their own way, they were not men to be trifled with. It was Bigfoot, with Creed's blessing, who unwittingly set in motion a legend that would haunt the Texas Plains for years to come. In 1850, a man simply known as Vidal emerged as a notorious cattle rustler wreaking havoc across South Texas. With a high price on his head, dead or alive, Vidal saw an opportunity to strike while most of the able-bodied men were preoccupied with the Comanche raid. Exploiting the temporary absence of guardians, Vidal and his three henchmen seized their chance to gather countless horses from the San Antonio River, swiftly making their way toward Mexico. Unbeknownst to Vidal, among the stolen herd were several prized Mustangs which belonged to Creed Taylor whose ranch lay in the treacherous heart of bandit territory. Oof, that guy was a different breed of man. Taylor's livestock and horses had long been the target of these lawless raiders, and he had reached his breaking point. He quickly rallied his buddy, Bigfoot Wallace, and a nearby rancher named Flores. Taylor embarked on a relentless pursuit of Vidal and his gang. With their unmatched tracking skills honed through years of living off the saddle, the three men eventually closed in on the outlaw camp. Waiting for nightfall when the bandits were sleeping, they launched a surprise attack, catching their enemies off guard. The thieves met their end, but Taylor and Wallace sought to send a resounding message that would deter future criminals. In those lawless times, stealing cattle and horses was considered a crime more heinous than murder. In an act of dramatic frontier justice, Wallace beheaded Vidal and secured his lifeless body firmly onto the back of a wild mustang. Tying the outlaw's hands to the saddle and affixing his head and sombrero along a strip of rawhide, 
Wallace set the bucking horse free to roam the Texas hills, burdened by its gruesome cargo. Word soon spread of the headless rider that haunted the remote countryside. Cowboys and settlers alike bore witness to the eerie sight of a dark horse with its sombreroed head swaying back and forth in the rhythm of its gallop. Not understanding what they were witnessing, many fired their bullets at the apparition, but the horse and its rider pressed on, forever etching the legend of El Muerto, the Headless One, into the fabric of South Texas. As time passed, more and more accounts arose of encounters with this figure. The Brush County became a place to be avoided, for El Muerto was credited with all manner of evil and misfortune. Yet, despite the fear it instilled, the legend endured. Finally, in a twist of fate, a posse of local ranchers managed to capture the horse near a watering hole close to the tiny community in Ben Bolt, just south of Alice, Texas. The dried-up corpse of Vidal, now riddled with bullet holes and Indian arrows, remained firmly strapped to its back. The body was laid to rest in an unmarked grave near Ben Bolt, and the horse was freed from its gruesome burden at last. Now, one might have thought that this would have marked the end of El Muerto's reign of terror. But the legend refused to die. Soldiers stationed in Fort Ng, which is present-day Uvalde, reported sightings of a headless rider shortly after Vidal's burial. Travelers and ranchers in no man's land also attested to continued encounters with this figure. Decades later, in 1917, a couple traveling by covered wagon near San Diego found themselves camped for the night outside of town. As they sat by their campfire, they were startled by the sight of a large gray stallion thundering past them. A headless man on top of the horse shouted, It's mine! It's all mine! Even as recently as 1969, there were reports of sightings near Freer, Texas. The legend of El Muerto lives on, with many still claiming to catch glimpses of the headless rider galloping through the moonlit mesquite of South Texas. And that is the enduring power of folklore, weaving its way through history, forever etching its mark on the land and the imaginations of those who dare to venture in the heart of the Texas wild frontier. About three and a half miles from the present-day town of Corinth, Nestled in the picturesque Denton County, Texas, once stood the small village of Alton. A relic of a bygone era, this quaint settlement served as the Denton County seat for a decade, steeped in history and whispers of a haunted past. In the year 1846, when Denton County was first established, intrepid pioneers sought a suitable location for the county seat. They cast their gaze upon a spot along the meandering Pecan Creek and christened it Pinckneyville, paying tribute to Texas's esteemed first governor, James Pinckney Henderson. However, Pinckneyville's reign as county seat was short-lived, lasting only two years before fading into obscurity, never truly blossoming into the thriving town that its founders thought it would. Water shortages plagued Pinckneyville, forcing the county seat to relocate in June of 1848. A new site emerged less than a mile away, perched atop a lofty ridge between the enchanting Pecan Creek and Hickory Creek. This fresh beginning prompted the birth of Alton, a town that held promise but ultimately fell victim to unfortunate circumstances. 
Despite the appointment of commissioners tasked with laying out a town and selling lots, no official records were ever kept, and no public buildings were ever erected. The sole dwelling that graced the landscape belonged to W.C. Baines, a man who had established his farmstead long before Alton's designation as a county seat. It was within the shade of the Baines yard that most county business took place as residents gathered under the protective canopy of sprawling trees. However, Alton's charm was overshadowed by its flawed location, plagued once again by a dearth of potable water. In response to mounting dissatisfaction, the state legislature swiftly directed another move for a county seat. And so, in November of 1850, the third and final county seat location was designated, nestled five miles southwest of present-day Corinth and sitting right next to Hickory Creek. Alton retained its name and submitted an application for a post office, signaling a glimmer of hope for growth. With the passage of time, Alton began to flourish, and by 1856, the once-fledgling town boasted an array of homes, a bustling blacksmith shop, three vibrant stores, a school, a lively saloon, and a grand hotel. They also had two esteemed doctors that called Alton home, and several lawyers. The Hickory Creek Baptist Church, standing tall to this day, was organized in 1855, serving as a spiritual cornerstone for the community. Yet, despite its burgeoning prosperity, Alton's fate remained uncertain. The majority of Denton County residents yearned for a more centrally located county seat with ample water resources. Their petition for yet another relocation bore fruit, and in November of 1856, the county seat found its new home in Denton. Town site lots were auctioned off in January of 1857, marking the end of Alton's brief reign. As businesses migrated to the new county seat, Alton slowly withered away. In May of 1859, its post office doors closed forever, leaving behind only remnants of its once vibrant existence. Today, little remains of the old town site, save for a steadfast Hickory Creek Baptist Church and the old Alton Cemetery, where weathered tombstones whisper tales from days long past. Years later, in 1884, long after Alton had faded into oblivion, an iron-through-truss bridge materialized over Hickory Creek on Copper Canyon Road, south of the old town site. Crafted by the esteemed King Bridge Company of Cleveland, Ohio, this 145-foot marvel served as a lifeline for travelers over a century. Known by various names, such as the Old Alton Bridge, the Argyle Bridge, or locally as the Goatman's Bridge, it initially catered to horse-drawn carriages before embracing modern vehicles. The bridge's significance was recognized in July of 1988, when it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. However, its time as a vehicular thoroughfare came to an end in 2001, when a new concrete and steel bridge and straightened road replaced it, bidding farewell to the era of honking horns and cautious crossings. Today, the old Alton Bridge stands as a picturesque relic, accessible only to pedestrians who traverse its time-worn planks by foot. Yet, this bridge carries more than just memories of days gone by. Legend has it that it is haunted by the spirit of the Goatman, forever tethered to the site where tragedy befell him. The tale harks back to 1938, 
when Oscar Washburn, an African-American man known for his successful goat-raising business, settled near the bridge with his family. Presented by some locals for his achievements, he earned the moniker Goatman. In August of that ill-fated year, hateful Klansmen, fueled by their bigotry, descended upon Washburn's home under the cover of darkness. They dragged him from his family and led him to the bridge, where they callously placed a noose around his neck before pushing him into the abyss below. Yet, when they peered over the edge, all they saw was an empty rope. Washburn had vanished without a trace. Consumed by their hatred, they returned to Washburn's abode and extinguished the lives of the rest of his remaining kin. And now, since that tragic night, eerie occurrences have shrouded the old Alton Bridge. Many claim to have encountered the spectral presence of the Goatman, lurking in the shadows of the overpass and the nearby woods. It is said that those who dare to traverse the bridge at night without their headlights on will encounter the Goatman, awaiting for them on the other side. These tales, however, belong to a time long past, as the bridge, like I said, has been closed to vehicle traffic since 2001. Numerous reports speak of abandoned cars found in the vicinity of the bridge. Their occupants mysteriously vanished without a trace. Ghostly apparitions of a man herding goats across the bridge have been sighted, while others claim to have glimpsed a figure holding a goat's head under each arm, its spectral gaze fixed upon them. Stranger still are accounts of a half-goat, half-man creature haunting the area. Sounds of strange noises permeate the air, from phantom hoofbeats echoing across the bridge to splashes resonating from the creek below. Maniacal laughter and inhuman growls emanate from the surrounding woods, and just a feeling of unease for anyone who dares to venture near them. Mysterious lights flicker in the darkness, car doors lock and unlock on their own, and countless people have suffered unexplained breakdowns in their cars while in the proximity of the old bridge. According to local lore, Halloween holds a special allure for those seeking an encounter with the supernatural. Legend has it that if one visits the old Alton Bridge on this haunted night and honks their car horn twice, they may catch a glimpse of the Goatman's glowing eyes piercing through a veil of darkness. And it seems that the Goatman is not alone in his ethereal wanderings. Another tale speaks of a woman's spirit forever haunting the area. Her mournful search for a lost baby casting an eerie cloud over these hollowed grounds. Some speculate that she may be none other than La Llorona. The specter known to haunt the rivers of the Southwest, or as we affectionately call her, the Lady in White. Today, the Alton Bridge stands as a testament to a bygone era. A bridge that once connected communities and now bridges the gap between history and legend. Its weathered timbers and whispered tales serve as a poignant reminder of the past, inviting curious souls to dive into the mysteries that lie beneath its rustic facade. Hey, folks. Uh, first, before I go any further, I would just like to say that I know that the subject matter of the last story could get a little grim and make people a little uncomfortable. But you know what? That is part of the haunted American history, and it would serve as an injustice not to talk about it or to avoid talking about it. So I just... If that's part of the story, then that's part of what I'm going to repeat. I'm not going to edit it to any way, or you know, I feel that's just an injustice to just the 
what the story's about and the meaning behind the stories and yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but again, some people might be a little uncomfortable. And that's going also further for the next story as well. Just, just saying, you know, putting it out there. That's my take on it. Anywho, um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been reaching out. I say it every week, but honestly, it makes this show possible. All of your support for me and for the show. And now for the Zachary Bain Kickstarter. The Zachary Bain Kickstarter is live. The book, the book is coming. Take a look at all the little perks that are offered and... Uh, if you're so inclined to join join me and join everyone else who has joined up with the, the Kickstarter to let this story live beyond the podcast. Onto the pages, a story that you could take home and read in your favorite little story reading nook or read to your son or daughter or cousin or mother or father or anyone anyone you want your neighbor your your dog anyone you want to read the story to most importantly read it to yourself because we all need a little bit of self-love every now and then and sometimes reading the book in a nice cozy little corner is just what the doctor ordered so the, the link is in the show notes if you're so inclined come on and pay a little visit and uh yeah let's continue with texas Later, folks. Love you. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. An unplanned pool excavation unfolded, revealing a chilling secret buried beneath the earth's surface. With caution and trepidation, a coffin was unearthed, giving rise to a spine-tingling phenomenon that would soon capture the public's attention. It was 1982 when the renowned film Poltergeist shed light on this unsettling situation. 
drawing inspiration from actual events that unfolded in the suburban landscape of Long Island, New York back in 1958. At the heart of his hair-raising tale were the Hermans, a family whose tranquil existence in their newly built abode was abruptly disrupted by unexplained popping noises and the discovery of uncapped bottles containing an array of mysterious substances, including holy water, scattered throughout their home. Month after month, this poltergeist activity persisted, casting an eerie shadow over their lives. What made their ordeal even more peculiar was the fact that they were the first occupants of the house, a suburban haven constructed five years prior to 1953. While the film took certain artistic liberties by incorporating elements like a swimming pool and native burial grounds, it remained faithful to the core reality of their harrowing experience. Ironically, Unbeknownst to the film crew at the time, a similar haunting was unfolding in Crosby, Texas, within the newly developed Newport neighborhood. The Haney family found themselves embroiled in a parallel narrative reminiscent of the Freeling family from the Academy Award-nominating film. Spirits from the Black Hope Cemetery lurked beneath their very own home, tormenting them relentlessly. The roots of this sinister tale stretch back to the 1800s when the McKinney family owned a Texas plantation nestled in what is now known as Crosby, a charming suburb of Houston. Their wealth and prosperity were built on the backs of enslaved individuals who toiled on their land. When slavery was abolished in Texas, the McKinneys allocated a portion of their property to their emancipated slaves, allowing them to establish a new community called Black Hope. With resilience and determination, the residents of Black Hope erected homes, a church, a school, and a cemetery, cementing their place in history as a strong and close-knit community. However, tragedy befell this vibrant town when it was ravaged by a devastating fire. As time wore on, neglect and ravages of nature obscured the exact location of the cemetery, leaving it lost to memory. It was the show Unsolved Mysteries that took it upon themselves to dive into the alleged curse surrounding Black Hope Cemetery. Their investigation led them to Crosby only to discover that the housing development had replaced the once hallowed grounds of Black Hope. Little did they know that within this very development, Sam and Judith Haney had purchased their dream home at the western edge of this transformed landscape. Their idyllic vision was shattered when an elderly man paid them an unexpected visit, bearing a disconcerting warning about their property. Recounting the encounter in an interview, the man noticed that we were building a swimming pool in our backyard and felt compelled to inform us about our property, they said. Following what was a chilling revelation as the man guided Sam to the precise spot where human remains lay buried, Overwhelmed by shock and grappling with disbelief, Sam employed his backhoe to excavate the ground, exposing a grim sight, human bones. In an absolute state of panic, Sam and Judith swiftly reported this disturbing discovery to the authorities. Although most of the bones had disintegrated into dust over time, 25 fragments were salvaged during the official exhumation. In another nearby coffin, two wedding rings adorned the index figure of the skeleton within. The Haneys were consumed by horror at the realization that they had inadvertently desecrated someone's final resting place. Driven by an unwavering sense of duty, the couple sought the assistance of Jasper Norton, 
a longtime resident well-versed in the history of the area. Norton had previously unearthed a few graves within close proximity to their property. He enlightened the Haynes, revealing that their house, along with several others, had been constructed atop an old African-American cemetery called Black Hope. The two individuals buried in their very own backyard were Betty and Charlie Thomas, who passed away in the 1930s and faded into obscurity over time. Judith and Sam Haney made the most bold decision rooted in respect and empathy. They chose to rebury Betty and Charlie in their own yard, hoping to bring peace to their restless spirits. However, peace did not come easily, as Judith soon discovered. One night, I heard strange noises and saw a haunting blue glow emanating from my bedroom clock, Judith shared. Investigating further, she found that the clock wasn't even plugged in, and there was no reason for the light on it to be on. This eerie incident was merely one instance in a series of unsettling occurrences that plagued the Hannies. On another night, when Sam was working the night shift of his job, Judith found herself alone in the house. Suddenly, she distinctly heard the sliding glass door open, coupled with what seemed like Sam's voice asking, What are you doing? Rushing to investigate the noise, she discovered that everything was securely locked and there was no sign of an intruder. No sign of Sam either. The next morning, when Judith ventured into her closet to retrieve her beloved red shoes, they had mysteriously vanished without a trace. Now, this could be just the simple of, I'm hearing things, or maybe I just misplaced something. But Sam also bore witness to some strange events. He said, we searched high and low for those shoes, but they seemed to have vanished into thin air. Then, as I happened to glance toward Betty Thomas's grave just a short distance from our yard, there they were. Both shoes placed neatly side by side as if they were deliberately left there, he recounted. Adding to the uncanny nature of the discovery, it was revealed that the occurrence coincided with Betty's birthday, leading the Hannies to believe that Charlie had left a birthday gift for his beloved. Judith gradually pieced together the puzzle, drawing a connection between these bizarre incidences and the disturbance of Betty and Charlie's graves. It became abundantly clear to me that this wasn't a figment of my imagination. There had to be a profound link between the disturbance of their final resting place and the haunting experiences that we were enduring. Their spirits were deliberately trying to communicate that all was not right, the Haneys soon discovered that they were not alone in their encounters. A dozen of their neighbors also shared tales of flickering lights, faucets that turned on and off on their own accord, and eerie sounds and apparitions that materialized out of thin air. These inexplicable incidents gradually morphed from mere oddities into something far more evil. Ben and Jean Williams, who believed that they had found their dream home in the same neighborhood as the Haneys, soon found themselves enveloped in an atmosphere of unease. Jean, in particular, never felt at peace within the confines of their house. After we moved in, everything changed. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't coax any new plants to thrive. A sense of foreboding weighed heavy on me, as if something was amiss or impending doom loomed, she confessed. The Williamses bore witness to strange sinkholes forming near their flower beds, eerily resembling the shape of coffins. 
These sinkholes would inexplicably vanish when filled in, only to reappear a few days later, adding to the mounting sense of unease. Malevolence permeated their abode, manifesting as fleeting shadows darting along the walls, whispers that seemed to emanate from thin air, and a lingering foul stench that defied explanation. Even their granddaughter, Carly, experienced pockets of icy cold air in the midst of the scorching summer heat in Texas. A chill would creep into the every nook and cranny of the house, instilling a sense of unease that made her dread being alone within its walls. Strange occurrences became commonplace there. Toilets in the house would flush on their own, and strange murmurs would accompany the draining water. There was an undeniable presence in the house. Whether it be a restless spirit or some other ethereal entity desperately seeking to make its presence known, they weren't sure. Jean Williams harbored no doubt that these disturbances were a direct consequence of residing on top of a graveyard. I firmly believe that every unsettling experience we encountered was a direct result of living atop a cemetery. We were destined to be tormented until we fled, she asserted. Motivated by a sense of justice and a desire to shed light on the truth, the Haney family decided to pursue legal action against the builder for failing to disclose the cemetery's existence when selling them the property. They sought to expose the haunting reality that permeated their subdivision, aiming to ensure that no one else would endure such torment unknowingly. Initially, they were awarded $142,000 in compensation for their suffering. However, their decision was later overturned on legal grounds, leaving them burdened with $50,000 in court costs. The total losses incurred by the Haneys as a result of this howering ordeal was staggering. At that point, bankruptcy became their only option, and in the end, they lost the legal battle, their financial stability, and ultimately their home. The Williamses also thought about pursuing legal recourse, but were disheartened to learn that without substantial evidence of a cemetery on their property, their efforts would prove futile. Eventually, both families made the difficult decision to abandon their homes within the subdivision. To this day, sources indicate a remarkably high turnover rate within the homes constructed in Section 8, aptly named the Black Hope Section. The echoes of the past continue to reverberate hinting at a lingering presence that refuses to be forgotten. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. And the imaginations of those who dare to venture in the heart of the Texas wild frontier. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, my head almost exploded. 